You know, speaking of how the world has changed, I remember flipping through pages and pages of my Bible backwards and forwards, and this is what we have today. Uh, very useful tool, and it, Don and I were talking about this subject uh, a couple of weeks ago where I remember us having all these study books you know, in the intern program, and after the intern program, we got ready for a Bible study or a message. You know, we bring these books off of our out of our study and have them lay all over the tables. And like Don said, now just hit a button; it's right there. You know, it's it's marvelous what the Lord has given us today to study the Word. How much easier it is today to study the Word. And uh, I would encourage you to get some of these tools that are out there today because it. Um, it makes, uh, opens up a whole new world to you. Well, today we're going to continue on the study of Titus, and we're in chapter 3. And uh, if we could get everything turned on here, that would be great. Here we go, Titus 3. Now, as we start this particular message on Titus 3, um, as we had Breaking Red this morning and we sang hymns this morning, I said... That's my sermon. So I really just need to sit down because what we sang this morning really is centered around this theme today of where we came from, where we've been, where we came from, what are we doing today? And it's all centered around Christ. You know, as uh, I reflect back on getting married 51 years ago, which kind of blows my mind away when you think about it. It's an amazing thing when you start thinking and remembering back in, in time in various events in our life. And of course, marriage is a huge event in one's life, I would hope. Um, even for us that have been married 51 years, it's still a fantastic event that we look back onto with uh, great joy and we remember the anticipation of it. Uh, you just don't forget it. If you don't, your wife's going to beat you over the head. But. Guys, I, I, never forget your anniversary, okay? Um, you always want to remember that. Uh, you probably remember your birthday. I mean, everybody remembers their birthday. We announce birthdays here. But there's something special when we look back and reflect and remember something that's happened in our past, you know. Especially salvation, you know, look back, you wonder, wow, you know, where did the Lord take me from? Where do we, what did he take me from and bring me to? And that's what the heart of this message is today, is that Paul was exhorting Titus to remember where we came from and where we're going and where we're going to be. Past, present, and future. It's all tied up in, the, in, the, in these verses. And we did talk about it this morning, which is amazing. I said, man, this is fantastic. I love how the Lord interweaves, you know, the breaking of bread, interweaves, the sharing of the hymns and the message. I said, man, this is, this is the message today. This is fantastic. Lord, you are great. So let's start in reading Titus chapter 3, verse, starting in verse 3. For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. Well, that's quite a combination of, 
of us, isn't it? It's what like we really were. That's what we were like. Those who are in Christ today, that's what we were like. Verse 4. But, here's a turn here in the road. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. Through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. Whom he poured out on us abundantly through Christ Jesus our Savior. That having been justified by his grace that we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Praise the Lord for the reading of this word. And may he bless our time this morning as we dig in deeply into his word this morning. What we see if we look at verses 3 through 7, it's, we can break it down into three sections. We're going to cover di- three different sections here. Make sure everything's working. One is that our life, our prior life, the one we once walked down, it was the before. And then the other section talks about Christ and how Christ came. And now he's there at the road. He's at the fork of the road. And forever you, was Christ there at the fork of your road? The path of life that you went down? Was he there waiting? Yeah, he was. He came. So we're going to talk about that in verse 4. And then there's eternal life. And it's all based on Jesus Christ's work. It's his work on the cross and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And those are the three things that we're going to concentrate on this morning. So let's start in verse 3. Paul begins and says, For we also were foolish ourselves, disobedient. He's describing again what our life was like before we met Christ. And when we see that, for we also were, it kind of goes back to the, the prior verse that in, in Titus. And our last message was, was on authority. And this is kind of speaking about going back, reflecting back again what our life was like. Titus 3.1, remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to be peaceful, gentle, showing all humility to all men. So he's kind of reflecting back on those verses again. Okay? For we also once were foolish. You know, we, we weren't obedient to authority. We were certainly weren't obedient to, to the Lord. For sure. Well, Paul's point to Titus was that we believers, we once shared something in common with the unbelievers. We once were foolish ourselves, just like the unbelieving, pointing to a continuous habit in our life, disobedience, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures. It was a habit of our life before we came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We're no different. And we look at foolishness. 
parents ever told your kids, oh, that was so foolish? Yeah. That was such a stupid thing. One definition, foolish, is just lack of good common sense. Lack of judgment, stupidity, and moral perversity. That's what foolishness is defined as. We do foolish things, even though that we know better. You know, how, how many parents have told your kids, don't put your hand in the plug because you're going to get hurt. And that just happened recently to our great-grandchild. You know, he thought he'd play with the, the plug and have fun with the plug, sticking things in there while he burned his hand. That was a foolish thing. Well, prior to knowing Christ, we did foolish things, didn't we? Um, it's funny because when I got, got through going, going through this verse here, I thought about the foolish things of my life. I remember how my mom was appalled at hearing about the things I did as a kid growing up because she never heard until later on. I said, yeah, we used to do that. We used to hop trains and we used to go down to Union City on the trains. You did what? <laughs> you know, that was a stupid thing. You could get killed doing that. I even remember the railroad police chasing us off of the train when they saw us on the train. They slowed the train down and they were after us. But man, we ran fast. We got away, Tom. We never got caught. But those are just foolish things. Lack of good judgment. Well, a good place to look is in the Bible with how foolishness is described in the scriptures. Let's take a look at some things. We see one foolish is um, one who violates God's laws. Is that a foolish thing? Yeah. What happens when we violate God's laws? Do things go right? No. There's certain laws like gravity. You could say, hey, I don't believe in gravity. And uh, you could go to the Golden Gate Bridge and say, hey, I'm going to jump off this bridge and dive into the water. Well, you know what? You can die if you do that. Gravity's going to take you down. Oh, I'll be all right. No, gravity's going to take you down. That'd be a foolish thing, wouldn't it? Or how about one who despises wisdom? One who is given the wisdom from God's word or given from a mature believer, yet they ignore it. Or a parent, they tell their children, don't do this. There's a reason behind it. There's a lot of wisdom behind it. There are those who violate God's laws. There are those who are without understanding. They have no desire to understand spiritual things. We see that the foolish person is described as sinful, corrupt. And the worst thing is one who says in his own heart there is what? No God. Is that a foolish person? Yeah, it is. There is no God. But do we see that a lot more today than we have in the past? Oh, there's no God. That's a foolish thing to say. But there is a God. Or one who lacks spiritual discernment is another description of that fool. And, of course, those who have turned their backs on God and revealed in his revealed moral code. You know, we're, we're really challenged through this verse that, to remember our past, who we were, and what we were before the grace of God broke into our lives. 
You know, it's an amazing thing when you look back and you say, wow, Lord, you, you saved me from all that foolishness. You saved me from a sinful life. You gave a new desire in my heart. There's new desires in my heart. But, you know, there's another good reason to remember these things because when you're dealing with the unbelieving, those that don't believe the Lord Jesus Christ, it's a reminder that, hey, we were also like them. And, you know, we have something now that is superior to what they have in their life. They have, we have Christ in our life. They don't have Christ. And, of course, the life in which they live, they're going to live that way. They do foolish things because that's what a foolish person who doesn't know the Lord is like. But we did the same thing. We can relate. And that's what this is all about. Remember that we were also disobedient. Disobedient toward God. We were also disobedient to parents. I think we can relate that. I can certainly relate that as a, as a younger person, disobedient toward our parents. You know, in Romans it says, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, Boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents. What a list of things that shows what the sinner is like. And, of course, going back to verse 3, we're disobedient to our authority. Governing authorities. Remind them to be subject to the rulers and authorities, to obey, to obey. Well, again, we were once deceived. Never think that you were never deceived. Can anybody in here raise your hand and say you've never been deceived? I don't think so. In some way in our life, somewhere, something, we have been Surely deceived. We were once deceived. We were either led astray by another. We followed some false guide to, we thought would lead us to life of eternity. We followed along after ideas, stumbling along this path of false ideas, thinking that we were on the right path. I remember before I got saved, I was looking for other things other than God. I was looking, I, I used to go to um, this class in San Francisco to, is a lot of psychology, a lot of mysticism, you know, looking for other ways to find how to do things better, how to better my life. It was all the things except Christ. He wasn't in that plan at all. It was me. I was part of that plan. How to better my life. I was taught how to hypnotize myself and sit, sit in a chair and just say, I am so good. I am so great. I can do all things. I can do it. The center of it, I, I, I. You know, when I look back on it, it was all centered around I. 
And of course, the middle letter of sin is what? I. It's that sinful nature, thinking we can better ourselves. You go to a bookstore today and you look on books for self-helps. There's racks and racks of books and self-helps in the bookstore. And it, and it continues to grow year after year after year. It's amazing. I remember before, it used to be a small little section or in a library, small section, then they add another shelf, add another shelf, add another shelf. Because man is trying to seek to better himself on his own. Can't do that. It's impossible. We're deceived. And we're deceived by those who are around us, things that we hear from other people or things that we might see in the media. We don't go to God. You know, if you take a quick scan of the media today, we see in just recent headlines and some of the activities that have gone on in the past few months, we see that the headlines demonstrate that we were once a once dominant Christian culture in the past, but is that true today? Today, we see that they, you know, the legalization of abortion. We see that homosexual behavior and fornication and acts that were, until very recently, too shameful to even speak of being spoken about, put on signs in front of young children. And these things are defended, they're promoted and celebrated as if they're virtuous. I don't know if you've noticed that recently in some of these demonstrations that have occurred the last few days. It's unbelievable to me. Where have we gone as a nation? Where have we gone as a people? Well, it shouldn't surprise us. You stray away from God, this is what happens. They're deceived. Before we met Christ, we were deceived also. So it shouldn't surprise you. You know, I had to catch myself when I see what they're doing. I said, are you guys out of your mind? Well, I was the same way, but in a different manner. Well, even so, called believers can be led astray. It says in 2 Timothy, for a time will come, for a time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves, teachers. There's a time that those that think they're Christians, they're really not. They have itching ears. They want to hear something that's contrary, that satisfies the desire of their heart, and they'll want to do their own thing. Not according to what God wants to do, but according to what they want to do. They lead themselves astray, away from the things of God. Well, we shouldn't be deceived. No reason to be deceived. We see that God is not silent. He has communi clearly, communicated clearly you know, to us through nature, the history of the prophets of Israel, the promise of the Messiah and the fulfillment of Christ, and the giving of the Holy Spirit, the body and the church. He has communicated through us, to us clearly. Even his heaven, the heavens communicate of his glory. 
We are created in God's image, and therefore we have value and growth. And the one thing that's so fantastic is God loves you. You hear that word, God loves you? Sometimes you can kind of slough it off or it kind of goes over your head like this. But just think of that. God loves you. That's got such a special meaning to it. God loves you. We have value and worth. We know he loves us and we have value and worth because what did we celebrate earlier this morning? The breaking of bread. To remember what he did on the cross. Do we have value? Oh yeah. <laughs> if he didn't love us, he wouldn't have gone to the cross. He wouldn't have been crucified. He wouldn't have been separated from his father for us. We have value. He does love us. Also, God has forgiven us in Christ, and we have the power to forgive others. Our lives have ultimate meaning and purpose. There's a purpose in our life. It's to live for him. And God guarantees that the truth exists and is knowledgeable to us through his word. We can know him. You ever run across people that you might work with and come in contact with? They'll ask, um, well, how, do you, how can you know God? How do you know he really exists? What's your response going to be? Can you respond in a positive manner? Say, oh, yeah, you can know God. Because he says, if you search me with an honest heart, what does he say? You will find me. Well, we also see in these verses that we were enslaved to various lusts and pleasures. And, you know, this, this is a very strong statement, by the way. We're enslaved to various lusts and, uh, lusts and pleasures. You know, it's, it's those strong impulses that just bubble up inside of us that causes us to be governed by our sinful nature. It's a strong impulse. And also it points to the diversity of all these urges and these desires that can arise to control us, to control us to a sinful life. It will control us doing things that are not godly. And notice the word enslaved. Enslaved. It's consuming. It consumes you. It grabs a hold of you. And it's like grabs a hold of you like this and just doesn't let go, enslaved. You know, I think of enslaving, I think of being tied to a ball and chain. You can't get rid of it. It's there, you can't shake it off. It's there, it's enslaving. That's what this strong impulse is like. It enslaves the man who is far from God, <clears throat> the sinner. And it really starts from the heart. It begins here in the heart. It's all in the heart. We see in Genesis 6-5 that the Lord saw that wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart were only evil. How, long, how much? Continually. That's what it was like 
during Noah's day. The thoughts in the heart, their heart was evil continually. And that's why the Lord destroyed the earth, because of this. But that's the wickedness of men. Do you see it today? Oh, yeah. All around us. But, you know, we were part of that group. Just remember, remember, we were just like them. And then in Matthew, but those things which proceeded out of the mouth come from the heart. And they defile a man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, and blasphemies. And then in 1 John 2.16, For all this is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. It's not of the Father, but out of this world. Just think, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. It begins here. It begins here. Man's heart. Because of this nature that we have in our heart, this desire to sin, the desire to not do that which is glorifying to the Lord, we're reminded again in James. That our own desires were enticed And then, when desire is conceived, what happens? It gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full growth, brings forth death. That's what it was like in the Garden of Eden, wasn't it? Started here. Eve, she saw that, that fruit on the tree of knowledge. Wow, it looks good. I'm hungry. That fruit looks so fantastic. She might have turned away from it and then come back again and look at it. Looks good, sure looks good. Sure it's getting nice and ripe, ready to eat. That's the same way in our own lives, don't we? We see something and we might walk away from it and it catches our eye again. We see it again and it grows stronger in our heart. Nothing is done yet, right? And we think about it, we see it again, and we start thinking about it. We conjure up these thoughts in our heart. And then, when all that desire is finally conceived in the heart, then it gives forth death. It takes us down the wrong path. But that's a natural tendency of unbelievers. It's a heart that will desire what the world offers and not what God offers. But remember, we were once part of that group. So when you see someone doing things that you may have spoken to them about and warned them about, yet they do it anyway, and you wonder, why are they doing that? Well, you know why. 
because they're unbelievers. They don't have Christ in their life. They're foolish. It's a reminder. Some more motivations of what the sinful nature is like. We see in 2 Peter 2.8. For their mouth is empty. Boastful words, and by appealing to lustful desires of the flesh, they entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. And then in Galatians... We're familiar with this passage. A classic list of the examples of the unsaved. The examples of what we were like before we met Christ. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentious jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, heresies, envy, Murderers, drunkenness, revelries. And in James, it says, Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for your pleasure that war in your members? Wow. He continues, Paul just continues to describe what our life was like. And we were doing these things, spending our life in what? Malice and envy. Now, we don't hear those, that word too often, malice. But malice is a, is a very strong word in the scriptures. It really shows us how vicious the heart can, can be. What an unsaved person can be like. The first word, malice means showing deliberate and ill will towards someone else. I mean, ill will towards someone else. To see them wronged. To see them failed. To bring injustice upon them. Second word, envy, means to pain at seeing what others have. It bothers you. It bothers you. It's a displeasure at the happiness and prosperity of others. You ever had that feeling? You see somebody have something, you say, oh man, how come I don't have that? And the thing that's interesting is, in this verse, is you notice it, they spend their life at this. It's something that's just not thought about one time. But they spend their whole life doing this. They, this is something they go for. This is what they want to do. You know, I really saw this in the workplace. Um, I, I know, Tom, you've probably have seen it in the police force. Uh, Don, you've, I know you've seen it in business. And Matt, you may have seen it in NOAD. Everyone in here is working. They've probably seen malice and envy shown in an incredible way in the workplace because someone might have a lesser position than you have. 
Someone didn't get promoted and, and you're in a higher position that they're at. And I've seen it where people around them, they start circulating rumors amongst themselves to bring injustice against those who felt that they were uh, short-come uh, in, in their life or short-changed. Um, it's just amazing to me, but it's like a cancer to them. They can't get rid of it. They don't forget it. And they'll constantly bring it up, bring it up, bring it up, even though that things have changed in their lives, they'll still remember that time and that, that, that happened where they were forgotten, if you will. But it's a terrible thing. It's a cancer. It just eats their hearts up. But what's interesting is that in verse 4, I love this part, the but. But when the kindness of our God, the kindness of God, our Savior, and his love for mankind appear. Boy, what a fantastic transition that is. You know, we've, we've moved away now from all the characteristics of our life. And now we have a time when something special has come into our life. There's a big change. A huge change. Against all the dark hues and the darkness of what our life was like before, whatever our past might be, now there's a bright light in God's grace as he shines brightly upon those who trust in him, come to him. And I like this. When it says, but when the kindness of our Savior and his love of mankind appeared, I'm reminded again of the banner that was behind us that we celebrated not too long ago when Christ came and was born into this world. He finally came as a Savior, as one who was going to save us from this terrible indictment of sin, save us from the the characteristics of that, what that sinful life was like. He came to deliver us from that. And I like what it says in Romans 5.8, but God demonstrates his own love toward us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He came to die for us, even though that we were still sinners. What a fantastic message that is. Or in Ephesians, it says, Among whom also we were once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling desires of the flesh and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together, in Christ, for by grace you have been saved through grace. It's the kindness of God. God's saving activity described in two words here. The kindness of God and God's 
love of mankind. We see that this kindness is, refers to his goodness, his kindness, his generosity of God. He didn't have to do that. You know, we hear about the kindness of God. How is God kind to us? Wow. When we look about the state in which we once were, or what we were before he came, sinners deserving of death, we were still sinners, but yet he still came to save us. It's just amazing that through his kindness, he was willing to come here and to die for us. It's amazing to me. We should be reminded of that because just think of this. If we had to pay the penalty for our sin, but Christ stood in the place, stood in each of our places for our sin. Is that kindness? Oh, yeah. It's unbelievable kindness. We didn't deserve it. Didn't deserve it. We also see that God's love for mankind, and we know this verse, don't we? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have the everlasting life. Does God love mankind? Oh, yeah. How do we know? Because he came to this earth to become a man, to die on a cross. And, you know, Jesus came as a savior, a substitute for us to die, for us. You know, when I think of this, it's not because of the good that we did that caused him to come here, is it? That's what's so amazing. It's not because of anything good that we have done that he came. It's his love, his compassion, his kindness, his pity on us, the sinner. He came here to die for me. Because there was nothing good in me. We already had this, you know, wanted poster, this, you know, arms to be wanted for these crimes. Look at all the crimes of Ormsby. There's no reason for God to come down to this earth for me to save me. No way. But he did because of his kindness. He had compassion. He had pity on me. And he knew that my good works wasn't going to save me. Nothing would save me. He says, all your filthy, all your righteous deeds are like filthy rags in my eyesight. There is no good things that we could do to be saved. But he had Pity, he was merciful to me. And it was his merciful initiative and intervention that saved me. Not my good, good works, nothing. And this is how it's expressed in later on in the verse, verse 3, 3, 5. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, There it is, right there. God's kindness and love toward us was not based on our own good works, past, present, or future. 
Our works have nothing to do with being saved. And that makes sense because if you think about this, if men could be saved by their own works, we would have no need for a a savior. We'd have no need for a redeemer. But our deeds, if our deeds were the basis of our title to eternal life, the work of Christ would be unnecessary. Jesus didn't need to present himself as a lamb led to the slaughter. He didn't need to deal with the religious leaders who plotted ways to kill him. There would be no need for Judas to to betray him. When Jesus' disciples arrived in the Garden of Gethsemane, there would be no need for Jesus to suffer in agony awaiting what was to come. There'd be no need for Jesus to be tortured or to die such a terrible death through crucifixion. One of the worst ways to die, to be crucified, to suffocate on a cross. There'd be no need for that. It was based on our good works. This is a great fundamental principle of the gospel. The good news that the works of men have no bearing on the justifying the soul of man. None. Our works can never justify the soul before God. You know, God is not someone who has this huge scale and on one side, all your good deeds are on one side of the scale. And all your sins are on the other side of the scale. And if it tips toward the good side, he's going to save you. That isn't how it works. There's not enough good deeds to ever pay for your sin. There's no good deed that can pay for sin. God doesn't judge on a scale. He sees us as sinners deserving of hell. That's how he sees us, deserving of hell. The only basis of justification on merits and works of the Lord Jesus Christ is the only way one can have a right relationship with God. It's the only way. And you know what? Everyone in this room, everyone in this city, everyone in this state, county, the world, we're all in the same group. We're all sinners before God, deserving of death. Real simple. We're all deserving of death. There's no distinctions. There's no favoritism whatsoever when it comes to this before God. He sees every person as a sinner deserving of hell. Now, when you meet him on the road and you take him into your life, oh, it changes things. He makes you a new person. Makes you a new person. 
for in Ephesians, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved and raised up together and made us to sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves it was a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Notice it's a gift, a gift again. I wanted to show you that again. It's a gift from God. He gives you the free gift of eternal life. You accept it, you receive it, he'll make you a new person. And it's not anything that I can boast about. My good works, I can't boast about my good works. What would heaven be like if we could, got there on our good works? Oh, Don says, hey, uh, hey, Howard, I did all these things. I got here based on this, this, and this. And really, Don? Or Gary, you know? Gary's sitting there saying, oh, man, I was a chief accountant, and I did this, and now I'm getting involved with this and this and this, and I did all this for the Lord, and, and uh, you never did that. Oh. Well, there's no boasting in heaven for what we did to get there. It's only based on one reason, right? based on what Christ did. It's his work. That's what we're going to boast in. We're going to see the Lord and say, Lord, you're the one that got me to heaven. I'm going to boast in you, Lord, because it was your work that you did on the cross. It was your blood that was shed that got me there. There's no good in me to get me there. None. None. Well, the, to me, the, the work of salvation begins with who? Jesus. Begins and ends with him. He's the one that's he's done it all. And this is what I like, too. But according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. Well, you might ask, have you ever asked yourself, Lord, why'd you save me? Why'd you save me? Why'd you pick me out of that dung heap? Well, it's according to his mercy. His kindness, he saved us. And he washed me, cleansed me. And why would he cleanse me? Why would he remove this stain of iniquity that's in my heart, in my life? Why do we, would he remove it? Because of his mercy. That's his compassion. That's, that's how he has pity on us. That's, the way he is. That's what he's like. He had pity on me. And he made me new. You know, the Washington Regeneration talks about a new birth. It talks about a renewal. I'm a new person. As we saw before, before the new birth, we were dead in our trespasses and sin. But when we come to know Jesus and he comes into our life, we're born again. We're made a new creature. We're made alive in him. Remember, we're made alive in him. We're no longer dead in our sin. And the person who's made alive in Jesus, who comes to Jesus as a sinner, wanting to forgiveness of sin and desire to live for him, 
Look what happens. Romans 1. We're dead in our sin and now alive to God. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Now we're to live for God. We have a new desire in our heart. In Romans 6.11 it says, Likewise also reckon yourselves dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Alive in God. That's who we are. We're, we're alive now. We're alive in Christ. Before we're dead in our trespasses and sin. And in Ephesians, it also says, By grace through faith you are made alive who are dead in trespasses and sin. We're renewed by the Holy Spirit. And what we do is we believe on him, receive the Holy Spirit through the washing of regeneration. We're washed. We're washed completely. We talked about being washed by the blood. That's exactly what happens. We're washed. We're cleansed. We're made white as snow. That's why I liked all these songs today we had. Because that's what we all talked about. We're new. We're a new person. We're washed. We're cleansed. We're freed. And I like what it says in Acts 2.33. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God, having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, who poured out this, which you now see in here. We're exalted to the right hand of God. Can you imagine that? You ever thought about that, that you've been exalted to the right hand of God now as a believer? It's unbelievable. Unbelievable. But it's true. It says, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Christ Jesus our Savior. It poured out abundantly. Yeah, we've seen an abundant rain, haven't we? You know, did you see the rivers, we, or the creek? Well, we call it a little creek. Usually it's a little stream of water going through it, but there's a whole lot of water going down it today, isn't it? There's an abundance of water. Just think of this. It's whom he poured out on us abundantly through Christ Jesus, our Savior. Abundantly. He imparted copious measures of abundance to convert the sinner from his wickedness to life in Christ. That's what he did. He did that abundantly. And you know what? He did it. He'll do it at any time. He'll do it at any place. Just be ready for him. And those in this room who know Jesus, you know what I'm talking about. There was a time you had Christ come into your life and you were filled with the Holy Spirit. You had new desire. You had a new way of thinking. In verse 7, it says, Having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life, whom he poured out on us abundantly again through Jesus Christ, our Savior. We are justified by his grace. Justified by his grace to become heirs. That's amazing. He brought us into the family. And if you're in Christ today, you're part of the family of God. You're in his family. He is your father. You have an inheritance in heaven. You will be with him forever in heaven. That is fantastic to think about. Being an heir of God. Well, 
just think of this. We're all going down this path of life, and I think we've all been here. For those that haven't, we start at this path, we're going down this road, we've seen what our life is like. And at the end of this path, I don't know if you can see it here, but Jesus is at that fork in the road. And he's offering to you the free gift of eternal life. Remember what your life was like. If you haven't committed yourself to Christ, you don't know him, he's there waiting for you. He'll always be there waiting for you. You have a decision to make. There's two paths at the end of this fork, life and death. If you receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, it's eternal life to be with him forever. You go down that path, life eternal, you become an heir to God. If not, the other path leads to hell, and it leads to a, a life, separation from God forever. Forever. Never Never to come back on this other path to eternal life in Christ. Once you go down that path to hell, it's final. Think about that. Think about that. But Christ is there. He's wanting you to go down the path of life. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, as we come here this morning, we reflect again what our life was like. It shows a, a, just a terrible description and an account of what we were like before we met you. And Lord, as we meet others in the world today, those around us, may we be compassionate and show pity toward those who uh, walk the life as described this morning, for we once walked it ourselves. But may we have mercy, may we show grace, and may we be compassionate toward those who walk this life and may we have opportunities to lead them to the, to the Lord. May we have opportunities to share the gospel with them so that they might know the Christ that we know. And we do pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.